Hi, you're listening to Startup East, a podcast highlighting Nova Scotia's startup community brought to you by Novacorp. We find, fund, and foster innovative Nova Scotia startups that strive to change the world. And we love a good startup story. This series features stories from entrepreneurs building technology companies in Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening in. This is Darren Gell. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Security, and this is our startup story. I, I would say I pretty much kind of had a good idea that I was an entrepreneur um, from like when I was a child, I think, because I had like weird businesses that I ran even in elementary and junior high school. Um, actually, yeah, I had a, I mean, like almost everybody has a lemonade stand or a Kool-Aid stand, but then I had like a bike shop. We fixed like kids' local bikes. I mean, we weren't bike mechanics, obviously. We were in elementary school, but we were like, fake it till you make it. How hard is taking apart a bike and putting it back together? <laughs> Fix my own brakes. <laughs> Why can't the kid next door fix his? Maybe I'll charge him for it. I think too, like I grew up in a, I grew up in a business. Like my mother ran a dance school, which was actually in the house that I grew up with. So it was pretty normal that you would have a business. And then my grandfather owned Gallup's Funland when I was a kid, and then I worked, went and worked there. So like, you know, a lot of my role models around me had businesses, and that just seemed like the thing people do. Um, and you know, when I went to university, um, which didn't last super long, like two years, um, I just didn't really like the. I just didn't really enjoy the idea of like going into a job. And even when I had a job, like I worked at the Fortress of Lewisburg, I'd always just like pace around and like thinking about all the ways I would want to do it differently. And like it's really frustrating if you want to change things and you're not allowed to. <laughs> it's frowned upon. Um, and so you know, I think that was just always the nature. Now. I think the way I initially materialized it was my dream of like being a professional musician. So I started a started a band and we ran it like a business. Like we ran it with the objective of it being our thing that we do instead of going to a job, uh, which actually you know worked out pretty well. Like most of my twenties were spent being in or managing or or like being part of a band in some regard. Right. Uh, I just think it's like it's a it became really challenging. And that, I think that's where, like, once I realized how hard, like, I think, you know, a lot of respect for professional musicians that are still lugging it out because it's, like, a, some, the hardest gig, like, no pun intended. It's a really hard gig, right? And, you know, you can't go out and raise a million dollars to start a rock band. <laughs> so you're, like, you know, it's tough, right? You can't get a loan from a COA to, like, tour. Like, you know, so, <laughs> nor should you. But, um, you know, I think I think that was, like, my first... I think the transition was realizing that I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a musician anymore. And I think like unless I could have been in the top ten percent or the top five percent, that makes a lot of money. By the time I was thirty, it's just like I want, I just wanted to have, you know, better accommodations and more sleep and better food and <laughs> more things and you know stuff like that. Um, so you know, the natural thing was the Mercado kind of was the first sort of, I guess, endeavor out of that world. Um, and it was still kind of in that world because I was leveraging that on connections and friends and relationships. Like, you know, when we when we built Mercado. So initially we built Mercado to be a, a, a tour manager 
uh, tool, right? So it would help you, a, 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 a self-managed artist or the tour manager or the manager of a band that's an active working band do that. And I guess the problem and I, the, the, the fatal flaw from a business perspective of that is I think one of the most important things if you're building a business to generate profit is you want to sell to people who have money. And, you know, I literally just came out of that business knowing that they didn't have money, but, you know, I just, I figured that at 10 bucks an hour per person, I thought that was a reasonable amount, but, you know, it, it ended up being really challenging to monetize that. And we pivoted before we were entirely out of money, um, looking at festivals. And then like, I was again, able, able to leverage that the relationships with people like Troy Greencorn, who was running, um, you know, Stan, the Stan Rogers Folk Fest at that time. And, and I knew Joella and Max and the team at, at, uh, at, at, at you know, over at Celtic Colors and, and ECMA people and Nova Scotia music. Like, so we had all these relationships that we could leverage to start and we got a lot of support and that's the route we went down, right? And so, you know, that project um, was the longest, I guess, single project that I worked on. I worked on it for just over 10 years. Like the vast majority of that, it was my full-time and, and exclusive commitment. Um, and then, you know, I, I think also, I think like, it, one thing leads to another. You discover something while you're doing something else, and it was during the during the Mercado days that I discovered this thing that was happening around information security, compliance, and privacy regulations and stuff. And start, experienced it firsthand as being an, uh, an entrepreneur trying to come up against it and in certain deals with with larger entities, and and just saw it as a pretty like pretty interesting problem. Um, and, you know, I think in, in Mercado, I spent a lot of my time learning about it and trying to solve that and essentially solving that problem, you know, with the team at Mercado. Um, and then just, you know, getting obsessed with it and thinking about how this could be done differently and how there's ways that this could be systematically generated, you know, the design and implementation of a security program. So I just got obsessed with that and, and realized, I think, at that point that, um, you know, I love music. And I love leading teams and building like economic growth engines or you know, businesses that can give valuable um, you know, employment to people here or, or you know, where people can stay here or come home back to here to something different. Um, and and I, think, you know, I think now I realize that like I don't, you can love all kinds of things, but like for me, I don't think it would really care what the business is. In a lot of ways, like if there's an opportunity, I think like we're, what I really love about Securacy is I like the customers. Like we sell to technically sophisticated, um, fast-growing uh, organizations that are having success. The reason that they have this pain is because their success is dragging them into more sophisticated deals that requires, um, you know, a, a real comp, a, a totally comprehensive security posture, right? That they can present to their, to their. So they're selling to you know. The U.S. government, Department of Defense, Bombardier, Target, uh, you know, Equifax, these types of things. So, it's really it's really fun to be able to help startups, and and I think about it like here, like one of the reason I do a startup is because I want to generate you know jobs for people, them doing things they love in a place they love, but by enabling these other startups to conquer these growth barriers or these obstacles, we're actually enabling other startups, so companies just like us. To do that same thing, to build their, you know, build their economic growth engine in whatever part of the planet that they they are doing that from, right? So, you know, I I, I don't, um, yeah, no. So that's that's kind of it. Like, I yeah, sure, I love security, and I think it's, but but like, let's be honest, it's not the most sexy topic in the world, right? And but what it is is something that is a drastic need for businesses, and a lot of them don't know yet, which is great. That means they're going to discover it, and we're establishing the you know the right set of tools to solve the problem, right? So, 
uh, yeah, that's so I've kind of always been an entrepreneur. I'll, I, I will always. I don't know if I'll do another startup. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Um, you know, it depends on how long and how much grit is required to get this one to the point where, you know, it goes. And, and But, yeah, this is sort of, I guess this is what I've been doing my most of my adult life is being an entrepreneur. Ideas are, like, super cheap and easy and, like, they're generally obvious for the most part. And I think, like, when I see people thinking, like, oh, I got this idea, it's like, don't want to talk about it. It's like, da, da, da. I mean, sure, there's certain industries and in certain certain environments, I think, where that makes sense. But in most cases, it's like, if you have a good idea, then a whole bunch of other people have that good idea. It really comes down to, um, you know, execution and actually delivering the idea. Because um, the thing about a good idea is it's just like, you could, you know, be, you could be sitting around with your buddies having a drink or smoking a joint or be, you know, but like, are you going to get up the next day and like now spend the next six or seven years of your life building that into something real? Like that's a much bigger, you know, um, and you know, obviously it all starts with a good idea, but if you're married, your idea, you're, you're, that's really a bad situation, I think. Cause then it could generally like you kind of get into an area and you're thinking about something like you're passionate about that you go into it. But like, if it's not working and there's some other adjacent opportunity, like, you know, you also if you kind of break it down. Like, I guess it depends on what your, your motives or objectives are, right? If you're an entrepreneur that's investing your own money and your own time to build something that you're passionate about, then by all means, like, you know, if that's, that makes tons of sense. But if you're an entrepreneur who has gone out and raised capital of other people's money and you're spending that money on and creating jobs that people are using to pay for their homes and stuff like that, like it's kind of reckless and selfish to just be like, no, this is the thing. This is the only thing. Like right? it's, it's not about you. It's about the company. And so like to build a great company, you have to be willing to adjust and modify your idea. And like, if you're not listening to customers and listening to what working or not at the end of the day like you have expenses you need to make revenue and you know so so i think like for me like i wouldn't really i don't think the idea matters that much um you know it's for me like it's i like leading a team and building systems and building and and, and having an economic impact and and and, and seeing people grow and like growing skill set in, in the region and all, all these types of things are really fun and the things i'm passionate about right like i could literally uh, well, just as an example, like most of the, like, I think at least half of the team at Securacy are all people that worked at Mercado at some point. Um, and it's super natural. Like a lot of founders, like generally your first hires are like, who do I know and trust? Because I don't have time and money and resources to like mess that up. Like I got to hit that point. And so, you know, it's pretty natural. You go in within your own network and find people, you know, that are skilled at those things, right? But if you're like a software developer, like whether you're building a CRM or you're building a marine biology database platform, like you're just like all the same things and practices and like, you know, the things you, you'd be into are it's the same thing, right? With Mercado, um, that was a, like a real pivot. And it was an obvious pivot um, because Morgan, a co-founder, had already built a database for Celtic Colors. So he already had experience with that problem um and and you know so that was definitely a factor and it, it was a situation where we could actually like we wouldn't be starting from scratch we didn't stop building the mercado musician app and then start building the mercado festival app we just well, i mean we still had these cons constructs like shows and 
a calendar and message like all these things built into the Mercado piece that would, would apply to the to the festival piece or from the musician to the festival piece so it, it it was logical right we could we could reuse a lot of what we had built and then go after a market that um, that essentially had more money to spend on the problem and maybe the problem was more is more uh, we got more aggressive because you essentially have like a festival is super chaotic. You only get to do it once a year, which means you basically never get good at it, for the most part. Like, because also like you lose staff over the year because it's a lot of seasonal employment. So really hard to be like perfect at a festival. It's a lot of like you do. Everybody does what they need to do behind the scenes to make it look good on the front, but it's generally a lot of chaos behind the scenes, and it's a lot of problem solving mentality of like you're getting curveballs coming left and right, and you're just trying to like smile while they're you're fixing them and stressed out and people don't sleep a lot and it's like so anything you can do to sort of sort of offer a little bit of a solution there de-stress or, or simplify any of that had value um so yeah i think that was the only really big like insecurity we haven't done i wouldn't say we've done a pivot like if i were to go back and look at um you know the original draft idea of this before even founding the company back in 2016 pretty much on point um I think, yeah, there, there, there might be like a couple of features that we're going down the road over some thoughts that have sort of evolved from the experience, but it's all within the same direction. Um, you know, I, I, I do, one of the things, and this is a challenge as an entrepreneur too, is a lot of times when you're doing th- something is uh, it's the, like there's always a shiny new thing or some new idea that comes skipping by for some reason. And like, you know, you're like, oh shit, I should go after that. But, you know, you have to kind of create the discipline not to. But in this one, it's kind of interesting. So... We realized at one point that what we're building is also very similar to a lot of other industries. And there are like various different, there's all these other adjacent industries. You look at fire safety, you could look at like food safety, you could look at like industrial safety. Like there's all these areas that we realize whole, our platform as we've built it could be repurposed for, like would be a ready to go product with somebody just going in and changing the rules and the content, right? So what I think is kind of cool about what we're doing in this company is there, there looks like there are some opportunities in some of those adjacent regulated sort of experiences that somebody could come in and build a no-code solution and build their business off of our business. And we have several conversations in effect right now with companies in different parts of, the, of North America that could evolve to them using our platform as a foundation to their product or service offering, right? So which is, you know, that would be a pivot, I guess, to say, but it's kind of theoretical at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, the objective is all what is what gives the greatest growth um, at at the quickest rate is sort of how I look at the objective, and I realize I think that's a little different of a model than a lot of businesses generally think of. But when you're doing the startup thing, again, you're going out and you're you're taking other people's money to build a return, and you're trying to create economic impact as quickly and as largely as you can to your community. So uh, yeah, we're we're trying to build something really big. Like again, uh. Hopefully we'll pull it off. Worst case scenario, we'll probably still do okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's it's. I mean, it's doing this like every time you do a business and you start ne- your next business, you obviously you learn a lot, right? You learn from the things that you did right, the things that were good. You learn even more from the things that you neglected or the things that you didn't take advantage of or you you, you didn't go about properly, right? And I think. For me, I didn't really have much formal 
um, experience. Like I hadn't worked at startups before I started a startup. I had never done, I mean, there weren't really many accelerators back in 2007 or 2008. Um, yeah, and I we don't live like, you know, we're trying and we have some traction, but we don't live in a startup ecosystem in the same way that a Boston or Silicon Valley or something like that has, right? So a lot of it was sort of like winging it, right? And learning from mistakes. And so the thing that we did different in starting Securacy is, you know, after having the, all the experience in Mercado, which is, you know, like t- 10 years of a real startup with a lot of ups and downs and, you know, making through it with the, at the getting out of it in the end with just a few scares and a few bumps and bangs, right? Like, um, you know, going into security, we kind of looked at it like, hey, let's get some, let's take on more mentorship and let's get more coaching and let's educate ourselves more. So let's take for the fact of like, you know, we know we know a lot more than we did 10 years ago, but let's not spend another 10 years figuring out what we need to do or we need to like really do this at a, at a, at a much larger velocity. And so we, we went through a couple of accelerators. The first one we went through was this all happened like literally in the span of two months. We got accepted into three and they were like we accepted everyone. It was a bit overwhelming, but um, we did propel uh, the propel program in Moncton. Um, and then as we were starting that, we then got accepted to the CDL program, Creative Destruction Lab in Toronto. And then like after the first week of that, we got accepted in Techstars Boston. Um, so we kind of like, it was a pretty cool experience. I mean, we, we did propel, we ended up missing a lot of the propel thing because these other ones were overlapping and, you know, we were kind of thinking, well, how far can we go? If we go further away, make relationships and connections in places that we don't really have them. And yeah, it was great. I mean, you basically like over the span of that, so incubator started in September with propel and ended with in April with Techstars. like literally over that period of time, we probably pitched our business to like 250 people. And got everything from like loving it to like shitting all over our business and our idea and like challenging it in tons of different ways and like tons of different perspectives of how we can do this or how we should do this or how what we need to look out for and like, you know, met a lot of people and like read a lot of books and took a lot of sessions on stuff and, you know, especially the Techstars one is a very, a very intense program that has like a lot of really good content. Like Techstars kind of has a model for almost everything. Like here's the Techstars model or like plan for doing a presentation. Here's the Techstars model for how you raise capital. And here's the Techstars model for email etiquette. Like all these cool things, right? That holy shit, that makes so much sense. Why haven't I been doing this my whole life? And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was massive. I think it was a bit of a slowdown to speed up. Like I think in a lot of ways, that say you know eight nine month period had. Like it was, we were working on the business, but also like doing all this stuff. So kind of like maybe it slowed us down a little bit, but then like I think getting out of it, it just changed the game. Like we raised money down in the States um, at the end of the Techstars program and we had access to talent and, you know, we're, we're, there's all kinds of really good things that have come from that. So I think that like, like just sort of realizing like getting over your own ego and realize like you got to always do what's the best for your, for the business. It's not, it's not about you as much as the business. And then I think like another thing is, um, you know, really starting to val to take 
care of yourself as well. Like I think in Mercado, I was like in that, like we, we live in this, uh, oh, I'm busy all the time. Like, oh yeah, you work all the time. You must work, do we work 60, 70 hours a week? It's like, that's dumb to work 60 or 70 hours a week. I used to work that, those types of hours and like, it just leads to like, you don't sleep enough. You don't exercise, you don't eat well, like you just treat yourself like crap. And then like, you know, you're, you're not really getting that same like output per hour. I, I just really don't believe. And so, you know, I, I, I think in, in Mercado by like the mid end, so like year seven or year eight, I was like pretty fried and pretty burnt out and, 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 you know, started changing my ways. But in, in this company, um, yeah, I'm just not doing that type of damage to myself at all. Like I'm, getting my eight hours of sleep and, and I'm eating well and I'm exercising and, and, you know, also recruiting, I guess the other thing too is like, you know, I didn't really understand the value of like top tier talent. Um, and there's just people that are really good at things and, and you hire those people and hire them early, like in, and it'll cost more money, but in the, it seems like it costs more money because the salaries are higher, but it costs way more money to do things the wrong way and then have to fix them and I think you know I think that was a big thing like we we hire everybody that we hired of the first 10 hires at Mercado had never really worked at a startup before they were all like people I knew that you know brilliant people but all of there was none of us in the room that were like the expert startup anything right we were just sort of figuring it out now I mean out of that come came a you know a lot of talent but we had to learn a lot of things the hard way, right? So, you know, in this in this startup, um, everything everybody that I brought in had years of experience in their domain in startups before. In most most cases, multiple startups, and so there's a bit more of a hit the ground running, right? And 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 it just you know things like that do help. Any experience you have in and you know solving solving problems or in presenting or in writing or. Uh, you know, any of that stuff is, is going to help you in a startup. Um, it's just, there's a lot of things in starting your own startup and becoming, deciding you want to be the founder of a startup that don't exist when you have a job. Like when you have a job, you go to work and you get paid. You do what you're told to do. And there's parameters, right? When you're the CEO, co-founder, or, or sole founder of a startup, like, no one's telling you what to do. You really have to sort of... Um, you know, and some people I think that have never had entrepreneurial experience, like, oh, it must be nice to make your own decisions. It's like, well, like, if it's that nice, why don't you do it? Like, if it's, you know, it's, it, it sure, it, it fits a certain personality. And I think it's, there are pros to it, but it's hard too, right? Like, it's hard to turn it off. It's hard to, like, if you just have a job that you can check out at nine o'clock or five o'clock and you work at the government or you work at some larger corporation or something, and you, like, I don't think you're taking a lot of that stress home with you on a daily basis to the same level as somebody who's sitting there laying in bed or trying to go and have drinks with their friends or, you know, have dinner with their friends thinking about, oh, I don't have money to pay my, my staff in four weeks from now. I really hope I figure that shit out Monday. Like, that doesn't exist generally in most jobs. And so it's a big challenge, but it's like, you know, it's a, it's a lot, of, lot of stress. And I think... Yeah, like, I mean, I guess a lot of it is emotional intelligence, too. Like, you have to look after yourself because no one's going to step in and go, hey, Darren, I noticed you're a little stressed out lately. <laughs> you know, so it's like you have to look, you have to now take on this charge. And and there's a lot of skill sets. And I see it all the time in, in entrepreneurs that, that, you know, in cases where I mentor or go for an entrepreneur lunch and they want to pick my brain, it's like, 
listening to how they're talking about their business and raising and what how much like realizing they have no clue it's it's like they need that help and i just i think like i i imagine i sounded the same way back you know back 12 years ago or whatever and like i wish i was more open to get more help maybe um maybe it was enabled wouldn't have enabled me to grow faster i think the sooner i think so i guess the advice i would take out of that would be if you're new to like if this is your first startup then like you have to be welcoming of hard advice um, and you want to surround yourself by people that are going to give you hard advice. You probably need also to have people that are going to give you encouragement. To, 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 but don't just simply surround yourself by those who go, you're great and this is going to work out and you're going to just do fantastic because that is dangerous. And, and like when I mentor, when I mentor or if I go to a pitch thing and like I, I know that I give hard comments and feedback but I'm doing that because I think that like that's what I wish I had been given more of and had been surrounded by more of that. And like if something somebody says something to you and it pisses you off, think about it a little. Why is it pissing you off, right? And and it's it's good it's good to be surrounded by people that that do that. And I think I think it's really important. Like I mean I I don't recommend being a sole founder. I do believe in having a co-founder. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, because it's a really lonely place being the only founder. And there's conversations that you just can't have with employees sometimes. That, that, and so if you really want to be, I, I wouldn't want to be alone in that world. And these are conversations that are generally difficult to have with your friends and family too because it's, like it's, it's a whole different world, right? And once you're in the depths of it, the conversations, like you're, you're going to not understand what you're talking about. And so having a co-founder to go through the journey um, is important, um, not just on a skill set. Like a lot of people, oh, I, I, I am a business person. I need somebody with technical skills to be my co-founder. And that's like, sure, in an ideal world, there's certainly some advantages to that. But also, like, you know, there's all the other parts of that, like someone you can trust, someone you can, you can, you know, also trust to call you out when you're being an ass or like when you're not looking after yourself or like you need to have that. And you need to have that level of, you need to have that level of trust where you feel like you can take the hit in front of them and, and like, you know, you don't feel too exposed. So th there needs to be a lot of that. And, and if you have that as your, as in your founder relationship, that can become your team relationship, which now creates a, a world where people don't just go, go behind backs and whisper shit about each other and create office politics where people actually confront challenges in a group and, and they're, they're, they're open to have those conversations. And then, you know, people don't want to let down the group and, and, they, and they accept that because you create an environment where people trust one another. You, you create rules, engagement, and, and, and parameters there that, that only people that you can trust in that way are in the group. And I think that creates a lot of, like, a lot of productivity through, through the business, too. It's always a work in the making. I think just you got to spend a lot of time talking. You have to spend a lot of time with people and you have to create clarity. Like, what is this? Why do we exist? What do we do? How do we do it? How do we behave? Like really create clarity and make sure everybody understands and have clarity, even like having written policies. And it sounds like, I think from like a, from a startups think of like, hey, we're all just hanging out and their laptops. But then like somebody new is hired on and they're like, 
I don't feel good today. Like, what's the policy? Like, I don't want to piss my new boss off. You can like a nice clear document. It's like, hey, this is the parameters. This is the rules of engagement, right? You know, I don't know. I think I think with Mercado, we were like super, super like rock and roll informal, and I think that that worked for a while in some regards. But um, yeah, I'm just trying to trying to create a lot of clarity, and we you know. We do things like every week we have a demo day where everybody does a little quick presentation in front of the team what they've accomplished this week. Um, we have a retrospective every two weeks where we look at we put up on the wall like, you know, okay, here's the column of sad faces, here's the happy faces, action items, and sort of go through that exercise and get, get an opportunity for people to put their whatever they're not liking up or whatever they're happy about. And so it's a good. We usually start with the sad ones and then. You know, and then the happy ones and leave with the takeaways. Um, you know, stuff like that. We just did a company retreat that was really good where we sort of, you know, sat down with everybody and really told them the story of why we're building the company, where it all came from. And, you know, some of them knew, some of them didn't. And we did, like, we did a, a slideshow pictures of, like, you know, what we've done over the last two years and some funny things in there and just sort of bring that to context. And then we really dove into conversations about, like, why do we exist? How do we behave? What are we doing, right? How are we doing it? And, 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 and allowed team members from different departments to get into small groups and solve problems where um, they generally would not necessarily be collaborating directly with that individual or department or, you know, in a, in a meeting about, say, for example, like how are we going to do this marketing or sales piece or, you know. So um, I think things like that are really great. It, it helps people understand what they're doing. So I think, you know, we're trying to... Um, trying to have more structure and just create because I believe I think one of the challenges like a lot of times when you're a company and you're you you get some money and you're like okay if we just hire three more salespeople and two more like we're just gonna let you do the math and it look like it makes it'll make sense like that guy generated this much revenue a month so these ones will too and then you know you don't necessarily I think first time around see the issues as you add bodies and if you have a very like I think Mercado had a really good there was a period there where we had a very in, completely informal, non-documented culture, but we all kind of had clarity and understanding to some degree. But then you add bodies of that, and they just come in, and it's like this weird clan that they just joined, and they don't really understand like what's what's allowed and what's not. Or is the so I, I think you know I think structure for us, and I and my belief again is like before we are at a point where we scale a team excessively, like I think this time last year we were eight or nine people, and now we're fifteen. And, you know, we're expecting that within a year from now we'll be 30. So that's like a lot of bodies. So having that structure and formality makes it a lot easier for people coming in to be, to be able to understand where they're going and what's expected of them. And, and, and that just makes people happier. People get stressed out when they're like, I don't know, like the boss looks pissed off. Maybe I am pissed off. It's probably not about you. <laughs> you know, or like all these things that can, can develop. So, you know, I think, I think that's part of it. Um, and we've got great mentors and advisors and people that to throw ideas off of too. And there's, t- I mean, it's a like right now we live in a great time if you want to learn to be like awesome at anything because there's unlimited resources like whether it's Coursera or like you know Audible or buying books off Amazon or whatever your your thing is, podcast, whatever. There's so much stuff out there, right? And uh, uh, I was on this. I had this mission. I wanted to read 50 books this year. And I had like, I was doing really well. I had 19 books read by the end of February. And then I was like, I need to, like, I just blew through all those books. Like, I just don't know if this is, I don't know why, where the number 50 came from, but I don't know if this is the right thing. And so I kind of stopped and I was like, okay, what, is there two books that I really, and so I picked two books out and I'm sort of working through those books and trying to actually 
implement some of those you know things around meetings and you know having better meeting policies and creating greater clarity and you know like everybody shows up at a meeting will show up on time where's the agenda have you prepared like really sort of value that that time that gets gets out of meetings but I, but I just believe like if you if you like all of a sudden if you're to raise like say three million dollars and you went out and hired ten people if you don't have any pol- you don't have any like if there's no formality or any like clarity in what people do and how they do it, then you're just every body you spend money on, you're just increasing your waste. Like you just end up with a lot of body. And you see it. You see companies like get that growth capital for the first time and they like load on a bunch of employees. And then like four or five months, they're laying off most of those employees or all of them. And we got to, I can only imagine the hard, hard nights that were uh, the, the founders were sitting, sitting up, you know, trying to, trying to sleep on that one before they had to make those decisions. But, you know, you raise, you, you sell your investors on the concept that, hey, we're going to add all these people, we're going to spend your money like this, and this is going to be the outcome. And you're like, uh-uh, it's not happening, you know. Um, so I think, like, obviously there's more to it than just those organizational efficiencies and formalities. You have to validate some of your theories this really strongly. But, yeah, no, I, I think, like, Every time, and I still see it, like, in my own company now, like, oh, you know, somebody's like, oh, we're having trouble with, you know, this thing. Oh, we're going to have to hire somebody to, to, to do that. Nope, not hiring them. I, I, don't, I don't believe we're doing it the right way yet. Let's, let's fix it. Let's fix the problem. I don't, I don't like the idea that this much work should, own, should require another body. Like, let's fix it. What can we do? Why doesn't it work? Let's break it down, right, and fix it first, get it optimal, and then add bodies, and then you get value from the bodies, right? But we always think, oh, we need, we didn't hit target. We need two more salespeople. Uh, you know, we're not getting our, our social media. Oh, we need two more people in marketing. Or we're not, you know, we didn't ship enough features this week. Well, or this month or quarter or whatever. And I'm not saying that it won't be. There, there's definitely cases where, yes, we need another body. But I just think that people just gravitate to that as the solution. That's an easy thing to just say. Need another developer. Need another <laughs> versus like, well, let's go look at this and like, what is like, is there opt? Is there any optimization? Is there any efficiencies we can create in, in within the bodies we have? And the more you refine that, and the more you formalize that, and make that part of your business processes. Now your people coming in can actually hit the ground running and create value. And I think like in Mercado, there's a couple of times where we staffed up and staffed down, and you know, we could have gone back to the drawing board more and saved and made better use of that money save that money optimize for six months and then put that money in right um you know they naturally come from the founding team because that sort of sets the stage like what the founders are building as a as a culture like i am not a nine to super nine to five like super strict like type of person right so Generally, like, and I'll, I like, I don't think people should drive to work if it's a monsoon, if they can work from home, and like, if there's a snowstorm, then you have internet at home. Probably you can use your computer and work. So, like, you know, like those are those would be things that would be born from the beliefs of the founders. Whereas some companies like to see their employees at the office at nine o'clock, and you know, lunch is everything's set, and like they like that rigid. And in some environments, it's required. Like if you're a business where customers are coming in and the doors open at nine, well, then you know, people can't roll in a quarter after nine, right? But, you know, I, I, think it, I think all of the sort of how you be, like the how we behave, I think it starts with the founders. But then it, it, it just resonates, I think, in the company. And if you're hiring people um, that share those values, they don't necessarily have to share exclusively those values, but they share those values in the context of the working relationship and, and, and what we're building. Um, 
and then you know if somebody doesn't if somebody thinks it's all horseshit, then they're probably not a good fit for the company, right? It's it's kind of all over. It's a little all over the place. A lot of founders are mostly just looking to like their biggest thing is to find money. Um, and I think it's well, you need money to hire people, so that's you know an obvious reason. You need money to pay yourself if you're going to quit your day job. And in the press, we celebrate the raising of funds like it's a great accomplishment in a business, right? It, it is an accomplishment in the sense that you've just attained something that you need. You, you now have the fuel to do the thing. But really what it is is now you just sign an agreement that you're doing the thing. You better damn well do the thing. And the, doing the thing is the big accomplishment. That's the harder of all the accomplishments. I think, so, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs come, they want to raise money. I think the biggest thing I see locally is that everybody just wants to raise, like everybody's thinking about local money. They're like, they're, it's like, hey, I need, I want to get a COLA loan and I want to get a Novacore investment. And those are, those are great instruments and they should be part of your strategy, right? It makes sense for them to be part of your strategy. But really what, what I always try to get entrepreneurs to do is get outside money somehow. And, and then the other one I think is that generally, not all cases, but a lot of times I find that founders are looking for way too little money. Like they're not thinking big enough. It's like you're going to put a lot of like, and it's just perspective. Like if you go into, like, you know, if you go into an Overcore's office and say, I'm looking for $50,000, it's like you're clearly not trying to bail a big company by their definition, right? So, and, and a lot of the times, I think the work that goes into raising a very small amount of money is generally about the same amount of work creating a, is, is raising a larger sum of money. Um, yeah, I think those, and a lot of the times, I think when I meet founders, they don't understand, like they don't understand venture, venture capital and why ventures and angels invest. So I think like th that's the first place where, they, where I try to have them understand what these people are. What are they looking for? Why are they looking for in general? I mean, obviously, every investor has their own, their own triggers and their own niches and markets of interest and whatnot. But yeah, but but you know, at the same time too, the other thing that I try to always do when somebody comes with advice is like, there's also like everyone's drinking the Kool Aid of you need to be building a billion dollar business and you got to raise venture capital, and that's just absolute bullshit. I mean, sure, that that might be the mandate of of of, of a lot of especially venture capital investment. That's how it works. That's not the only money in the world, and that's not the only type of business in the world. And and like you know, you got to think like why again go back to this and you do that exercise. Why do why do we exist? Even if it's just you building this company, why does this exist? Why are you building this? What do you want for yourself, right? And you know, it it doesn't have to be that you're building a you know a company that you sell in five years for fifty million dollars. Um, you know, there's all kinds of great businesses that create great lifestyles and, and have an awesome impact on the economy. In fact, there's way more of the ones that are significantly smaller businesses, right? So when I see people like, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to go raise money from these people. I'm like, well, okay, well, let's talk about how much money. Well, that's not much money. What are you trying to build? How big do you think this is going to be? How much, you know, like someone's like, well, you know, I'd be really happy if I can get this to like $2 million. Well, you can, then you got to stop listening to this venture, venture stuff if that's what you're trying to build because this isn't a venture-backable business. So like really understanding like, you know, what are, like, what are they doing? Like, where are they going? What do they want to do? And then, like, then go figure out the best way to finance that versus, like, sort of thinking that, you know, you got to go pitch and join an accelerator and go to a pitch contest. Like, it's like, generally, if you're, like, the only, in, the only 
true reason to go to venture capital is because you want to raise millions of dollars to grow things at a dangerously clumsy <laughs> speed that's like very stressful and 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 to sell that thing for a lot of money in a you know in a reasonably short amount of time so otherwise like you know there's all kinds of other mechanisms right out there to raise money Listeners, InnovaCorp finds, funds, and fosters innovative Nova Scotia startups that strive to change the world. How can you be a part of this booming startup community? Visit InnovaCorp.ca for more information.